Well, it's wonderful to be back in church tonight, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here again. And I was thinking about the songs that were singing. I'm not going to preach from this text tonight, but it was on my heart uh, during the singing tonight. I recently shared with our board of directors when we met concerning an overview of Samuel's life and ministry. And I was thinking about our text in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul told young Timothy the evangelist in verse number 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departing Thessalonica and Cretans to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Then in verse number 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom thou be aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Notice in verse number 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. And verse number 17 is a verse I want to emphasize. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And by me, the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm glad when we have trials and troubles and heartaches and sorrows and discouragements and disappointments, the Lord is still with us. He never leaves us, nor does he forsake us. And I'm glad that even in the midst of the storm, he was with the disciples. And the Bible said that he would have passed by that night, but they called out upon the Lord. And we know that God never forsakes his people. Many times it just takes a simple cry and call to the Lord and uh, he comes on the scene and helps and delivers and we are grateful for the singing tonight. I wish the choir could uh, travel with us and go in now the prisons as we uh, sing. Of course the prisoners, they enjoy singing. I remember years ago we were at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington and uh, our pastor at the time at Greater Portland Baptist Church uh, Dr. Rick Adams was sitting on the front, and there was this tall, lanky uh, prisoner that was sitting beside him. And um, you just have to understand that on the West Coast, it's a little bit different than in the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, they've not experienced the worship that we experience here at Bible Baptist Church and uh, throughout many churches in the southeastern part of the region. And um, they were singing a song, and all of a sudden, the prisoner jumped up, uh, shouted for joy, and stuck his hands up in midair and came back down and flopped on the seat and uh, scared Pastor Adams. I mean, it scared him bad. Uh, he looked at me and I said, <laughs> I didn't know what to tell him. But um, it's wonderful to be here tonight where the Spirit of God is and since the Lord working and moving in our lives. I want us to go tonight to the book of Psalm 33. And we'll read our text and bring our message from this one passage. A year ago, before the elections, I was asked to preach at one of the fellowships in Chattanooga, one of the meetings, and uh, it was prior to the election, and I was asked specifically if the Lord would allow that we preach on the subject matter of America. And so I began to study. I'd preached on various portions of our nation and our founding fathers. And that year, the Lord began to deal with me concerning Psalm uh, 33, and I'd like to read a verse in the text tonight, and I would like to uh, shift gears, if I could put it that way, for just a little bit tonight. I wanted to preach out of the book of Revelation, 
I came prepared to preach out of the book of Revelation. And the Lord has led me to Psalm 33, and I hope that it will be of help. If you're a saint or a sinner tonight, uh, the message should be of a help and encouragement to you. And if you're here and you're a sinner and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then it's certainly my desire that you'd be saved and give your life to the Lord. And I pray there'll be an encouragement to the child of God. Let's stand in reverence to the reading of the Bible. Psalm 33, one verse, verse number 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Let's pray. Our fathers, we bow before you this evening. We bless and praise your holy name once again for your goodness, for your grace that you bestowed upon us. And our Father, we thank you for the wonderful choir singing tonight and the special uh, testimonies. As we heard the young men and young ladies testify the grace of God and the blessings of God upon their lives. Lord, how our own hearts were stirred and encouraged concerning the future of this nation. Lord, I would ask you tonight that you may take the message and the word of God, burn it deep into our hearts. And I would ask you, our Father, if there's one here that's lost, may the Holy Spirit of God convict them. Draw them to that place of repentance and be willing to turn from their sin and turn from the Savior. And I'd ask you tonight that you may encourage your people. And our Father, tonight I pray for our nation. Lord, we need thee. We need revival. We need a nation that is brought and turned back to God. And so I'd ask you tonight for your power, for your presence, for clarity of mind and speech. And I pray, Father, that you may bless this service tonight and may you get all the glory and all the honor. For we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak on America tonight. And I would like to go back and look at some of the founding fathers of our nation and bring us up to where we are today and look at the future hope of America. America is in dire straits today. Unless you have traveled and gone into churches not just in the southern part of the United States, but unless you have traveled from coast to coast and border to border, you may not understand the depravity and the spiritual draft that is in America. I preached in many churches. I'm reminded of what one preacher said. He said, sometimes I preach two times in one trip and one message. And I said to him, I said, preacher, what do you mean? He said, it's my first time and my last time. America is in need tonight of revival. Do we understand tonight that most of America will never experience what we have experienced tonight? And the Spirit of God moving in the choir singing, the special music, the testimonies. I was in a church on the western half of the United States where I lived in Portland, Oregon for 11 years and that Wyoming and the south central part and the high plains, prairie and desert for seven years. So I've spent my seven years on the backside of the desert. And 11 years in a spiritual drought in Portland, Oregon. And I'm not referring to the church. We had a great church preach the gospel and there was life in the church, but it is a region that is in need of the gospel. And as we have traveled across this nation, one of the great disappointments in my life has been to see America and some of our churches that once stood for the truth, that have now shifted away from the Bible, shifted away from God, 
shifted away from biblical principles and are now adopting the culture of the world into the church so that they may try to reach the world and the young people. I thank God tonight we have many young people here and they were not reached by contemporary means but by conservative means and by the Bible. I came across this statement that was written almost 200 years ago by a Scottish professor, Alexander Fraser, and he wrote the following words about the Athenian Republic, which had fallen more than 2,000 years prior to his writing this article. See if you can't relate it to the United States of America. He said a democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist up until the time that the voters discover they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always vote for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury. With the result that every democracy will finally collapse due to physical a loss of physical policy, which is always followed by dictatorship. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history has been about 200 years. During those 200 years, the nations always progress from the following sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. That is the path in which America has been traveling down for the last uh, several decades. The United States of America this year celebrates 241 years. Why is it that America has 41 years outlasted any other democracy in the history of the world? May I say to you that I believe we find the answer to that question in our text tonight in Psalm 33 and verse number 12. For the Bible said, Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. May I say to you that I believe that America has existed for the 241 years. And of course there's been uh, Christianity on American soil. In fact, Baptists have been in America for over 300, if I remember right, in 78 years. But since the signing of the Declaration of Independence, 241 years. How is it that America can surpass the, all other nations in history of standing and as, as a nation for 241 years? May I say to you that you don't have to look very far in the founding of America to see that the divine hand and providence of God was upon the founding of the United States of America. So blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. As we look at our text tonight, I would like to look at just a couple of things concerning America and we'll look at other things here in just a moment. But recently a survey was done across America to several a thousand people. And they found that the majority of people that were youth that are not in church were raised up under the influence of church. In fact, if I remember correctly, it was upper, upwards of 75%. 
of the people, the young people of our nation that was unchurched at one time or another had a a parent or parents that were influential upon their lives and taking them to church. And many of them gave of responses to the survey saying that they no longer believed in God because he did not believe that it was prevalent for this generation. Many of them said that they didn't believe in God because there was no scientific evidence that God even existed. Many of them said it was because of the hypocrisy of the past generation of their parents or grandparents or others that were influential in their lives. We live in a day and an age where it's sad when in many places outside of our region the people want nothing to do with God. Recently, I preached in Portland, Oregon, where we lived for 11 years. Within a three-block span, they have legalized marijuana, and not just for medicinal purposes in the state. They have legalized it. You can walk in and buy it like you do liquor or beer or alcohol or cigarettes or any other type of vice. And within a three-block region, there was at least a six to eight pot houses, and there were people that were doped up all over the city of Portland and in Gresham, where we used to live in that area. And they want nothing to do with God. America is in trouble tonight. Living in poverty in America of a population of about 312 million people living below the poverty level is over 43. In fact, it's almost 44 million people, a one-seventh of our nation's population. A dollar today in America, compared to 1913, a dollar today is only worth on average of two cents in comparison. America's in trouble. I was on the West Coast and the preacher said this and I'll give you my thoughts. I know the preacher well and he introduced us to the pulpit and he said, it's good to have Brother Ellis with us tonight. But after living 18 years in the western half of the United States from the Rocky Mountain region to the West Coast, he backslid and moved back south where there's a church on every corner. When I got up to preach, I knew the preacher and the people well and so I took the liberty And I said, I thought your pastor had more integrity than he exemplified tonight. He said that I moved down south where there's a church on every corner. I said, God knows that's not the truth. God knows there's three churches on every corner. And God also knows that two and three-fourths of them don't preach the truth. Let's look tonight at America's founding. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In Psalm 127 and verse number 1, the Bible said, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman walketh but in vain. So I ask you tonight, if we go back in the founding of America, can we find where the providential hand of God was upon the founding of the building of the United States of America? As you go back in history and you began to uh, study and read over the various civilizations, 
you'll find that the a Greek Pericles founded a civilization built upon culture and it fell. Alexander the Great founded a civilization built upon military genius and it fell. Caesar founded a civilization built upon power and power alone and it fell. Yet there's something different about the United States of America. 241 years now, America still remains. Why is it that America could go past all the other nations in history as a democracy? May I say to you, Roger Basham said this. He said that South America was founded by men seeking for gold. But North America, America was founded by men seeking for God. And may I say to you tonight, you don't have to go very far back in American history to find that God had his providential hand on the founding of America. The Declaration of Independence was on one hand a declaration of independence from England. But on the other hand, it was a declaration declaration of dependence upon Almighty God. In fact, in the declaration, it reads as I follows as a a portion of it. We hold the truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life and liberty. On July the 4th of 1776, King George III in England wrote in his diary this simple statement. Nothing significant happened today. But a continent away in the United States of America on July the 4th of 1776, some God-fearing men who believed in God, prayed to the God of heaven, sought the God of heaven over the founding and the liberty of a nation where we could worship God in freedom and in spirit. There was a declaration of independence. And while on one continent the king would say nothing happened today, on the other hand, God on the continent of America or North America would say, oh yeah, wait and see. More people have risked their lives to come to the United States of America than any single nation on the planet Earth. Noah Webster said this, he said, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will grow on prospering and to prosper. But if we in our posterity neglect the instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all of our glory in profound obscurity. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So what about our founding fathers? Let's start with our first president, George Washington. Before George Washington was president, he was general commander of the troops. He was facing the British general, Howe, who had 30,000 experienced soldiers. Washington had a ragtag army of only 18,000. 
They were inexperienced troops, inexperienced in battle, while the British troops, their 30,000, were some of the most seasoned and experienced men on the planet. And in one single battle, uh, Washington lost over 1,500 of his troops. Some of his generals had been taken captive. Howe had them pushed against the East River. Plans were made to march in and to wipe out Washington and his army. And the war would be ended before it even started. And that night, George Washington, General Washington, gathered his commanders and his generals, and they discussed what they would do. It was a stormy, blusterous night. The winds blew, and the East River was white-capping and treacherous, to say the least. General Washington called for a season of prayer, and all of his generals and his commanders got on their knees, and they prayed and begged the God of heaven for counsel and advice and guidance in their battle. When they got up off their knees, General Washington said to his generals and others, he said, men, go up on the battle lines and strike fires all down the front. And I want you to get the men and start crossing the East River. And they said, General Washington, you're crazy. It cannot be done. He said, this is what I believe God wants us to do. Thank God for the leaders and founders in America who believed in God and were led by the Spirit of God. They started that night crossing the river and as soon as the first boat set sail, out of nowhere the wind ceased and become like glass. All night long they ushered those troops over to the other side but then sun began to rise and uh, General Howe was getting ready. The British had to come in with his 30,000 troops and finish off the war. Knowing they hadn't got all the soldiers over the East River, Washington and his men began to pray again. And out of nowhere, on a clear morning, a heavy dew and fog settled in. But it only settled between his troops and General Howe. And as soon as the last boat had got to the other side and the last soldier had put foot on dry ground, all of a sudden the fog lifted and Hal came in. And to his dismay, Washington had escaped over the East River with all of his troops, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. I'm glad you don't have to go back too far in American history to find that God was in the founding of America. And we have this liberty tonight because of God-fearing men. And you young people, I don't know how many go to Christian school and others to secular school, but our secular curriculum is trying to make George Washington out to be an agnostic and our founding fathers, some of them atheists, don't you believe a word of it. It's a lie out of the pits of hell. The University of Houston gathered 15,000 documents and their goal was to find out what was the most quoted resource by our founding fathers. And out of 15,000 writings and documents as they began to examine them, it was determined that the primary source of all the ideals came from the Bible. 
But not just that the majority of them came from the Bible. They found that 94% of all quotes and influence on our nation's history and founding documents, 94% of those came from the Bible. 94% of our founding fathers believed the Bible, or at least they quoted from the Bible. Our founding documents came from a foundation built upon the Bible. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. As you begin to study, we'll see that America's founding, and there's much could be covered here tonight, but I thank God that in the founding of America, we can find God. Notice secondly with me tonight, notice the Bible says, blessed is the nation, and then notice the next phrase, whose God is the Lord. Notice if you would, not only America's founding, but notice America's faith. Our churches and our missions. Today in America, we have the liberty to worship God, but there are literally millions of Americans who do not take advantage of the liberty that God has given us. The French writer Alex made this statement. In 1831, he said, I sought for the greatness of the United States and her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world of commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. I remember some years ago, one of our national missionaries, Alex and Natasha, came from the Ukraine They had not had their liberty too many years prior from the iron fist of the Soviet Union. And I remember on that particular year when they came in, we had a a march of the nations to launch our national conference led by the American flag, followed by the Christian flag, followed by the various nations where our ministry is established and our families would walk down the aisle and line up across the front. And I remember looking over at Natasha and as she looked up an American flag came by and people stood up and put their hand over their heart as the American flag passed by and tears streamed down her face and she gave testimony and said, I've never been to a nation where people respected and had reverence to their flag and to the God who established the nation. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. George Washington said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. In Columbia, South Carolina, where we recently held our national conference, and I believe I referenced this the other night, General Sherman was marching through the region and he ordered his troops because of the Baptist church. They had their sign the, the first succession to withdraw from the Union. When Sherman found out, he ordered his troops. He said, when you go through that region of the country, burn the Baptist church to the ground for their rebellion 
Well, somehow the word got out and it got to the deacons of the church. The deacons gathered in a secret meeting the night before Sherman was to march through town. They went over to the local Episcopal church and they took the Baptist sign and put it on the Episcopal church, pulled the Episcopal sign off and put it on the Baptist church. And when Sherman came marching through the Columbia area, he burned the Episcopal church to the ground. It was up in smoldering ashes. He was just north of Atlanta and somehow another word got to him that he had burned the Episcopal church down and he learned what the deacons at the Baptist church, leave it up to the deacons to do something like that. They found out what had happened. He ordered the troops, uh, troops when they marched back north to burn the Baptist church to the ground. And in the providence of God, they never marched back through that region and the church survived. The providential hand of God. Someone said, preacher, and there's a big argument today about whether there's separation of church and state. May I say to you, our forefathers, our founding fathers believed in the separation of church and state. They believed that uh, the government ought to keep their hands out of the church's business and the church ought to be involved in government's business. They believed in separation in church and state, all right, but not the way the government says and proclaims today. No wonder on June the 8th of 1845, President Andrew Jackson said, the Bible is a rock upon which our republic rests. Do you know why America is where we are today? It is because we that are children of God are not standing on the Bible. We're not living the Bible in our daily lives. We're not living and becoming written epistles, living epistles before our children and the nation in which we live. Abraham Lincoln said concerning the Bible in regards to this great book, I have but one thing to say. It is the best gift God has given to man or the good the Savior gave to the world was communicated through this book, but for it we would not know right from wrong. Calvin Coolidge said this, the foundation of our society and of our government rests so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings should cease. You know why America is where we are today? America is where we are because we've forsaken our founding fathers and our heavenly Father. Baptists have had an influence in American history throughout the span of time. The Rhode Island Charter was written by Baptist pastor John Clark. My Country Tis a Thee was written by a Baptist pastor by the name of Samuel Smith. And the Pledge of Allegiance was written by a Baptist Francis Bellamy. Let's look quickly tonight at a third thing in our text. Notice the Bible says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he have chosen for his inheritance. In Psalm 9 and verse 17, the Bible said, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. May I say to you for just a moment, let's look at, we've looked at the founding of America, the faith of America, and for just a moment, let's look at the faltering of America. Alcoholism and drug abuse 
is ruining a nation and a generation. In 2014, 87.6% of people in the ages 18 or older reported that they drink alcohol at some point in time in their lifetime. That's 87.6%. That includes many Christians or at least professed Christians. One of the things we're dealing with as we travel across a nation is the simple fact that Christians, and I'm talking about fundamental Christians and churches, are accepting social drinking and alcohol. It has no business in the home of the church or the family. 71% reported that they had drank in the past year. 56.9% reported they had drank alcoholic beverage within the past month. Alcohol and drug abuse in America cost us over $700 billion annually. If we could just balance the budget and do away with the problem, the sin of alcohol and, and uh, the use of the tobacco items and these types of addictions... Just that alone, in 27 years, we would absorb the $20 trillion debt that America is in. People don't understand the depth of our deficit. Let me give you an illustration. If we took 1 billion seconds, that would equal 32 years. If we took 1 trillion seconds, that would equal 32 years. Thousand years. And America is over $20 trillion in debt. If you took it and converted it to seconds, that's over a half a million years. Secondly, part of the faltering, America's faltering not only alcoholism and abuse and the opioid abuses in rapid uh, pace this day. Literally thousands of our youth in America die every single month and year in America because of abuse of opioids. But also apostasy is seeping into our ministries and our, and our nation. And I'm not going to make a big to-do here tonight or issue out of this. But I say to you tonight that apostasy is creeping into our churches across America. Churches who once used to go soul winning or knocking on doors now have gone to hyper-Calvinism and, and believe that some are foreordained to heaven and some are foreordained to hell. And if they're foreordained to hell, they can't be saved. And it's a revival of it sweeping throughout our churches, especially here in the South. And then there is the fouled up doctrine of eschatology of the end times. And when America turns her back upon God and our founding fathers and what God has established for this nation and the religious freedom and the religious liberty and the principles founded upon the Bible, when a nation turns her back upon God, God takes his hand off the nation. This Bible is as up to date as it was in the day in which God wrote it and inspired it. 
A spirit of apathy has settled into our nation. We are no longer moved. Remember a man who was out on the streets and he walked up to a gentleman and he said, Sir, did you know that two of the greatest uh, problems in America is ignorance and apathy? To which the man responded, I don't know and I don't care. Apathy is the enemy of America. Apathy is the enemy of our church. Apathy is the the enemy of our homes. Apathy is the enemy of Christian service and dedication and surrender to God. It brings on complacency. The future hope of America is not in the White House. It is in Jesus Christ and the Bible and Him alone. It's not a stretch to describe America as an apathetic nation today. On average, four to 5,000 churches close their door on American soil every single year for the last seven years. But this year, and the statistics aren't out yet, they anticipate that seven to upwards of 10,000 churches will close in America in 2017. We have forsaken God. The Bible states, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days when the Son of Man shall come. There was sexual perversion. There was abuse. There was drunkenness. And so it is today. Listen to these statistics on America. In 2016, the Internet's online, largest online pornography site released its annual statistic. This is one website in 2016. On this one website, in just one year, consumers watched 4,392,486,580 hours of pornography on one website. And we wonder why God's hands off of America. You convert that into hours and and that uh, into years, those hours into years. And it means that collectively the United States in one single year watched over 50,000 years worth of pornography on one website. It is estimated in America that over 25% of the professional male adults in our nation are hooked on pornography. That's not kind of the ones involved with it. That's the ones that are hooked and addicted to it. More preachers that I've known have fallen because of This type of sin that has devastated homes, devastated ministries, devastated families, ruined children's dispersed homes and and has ruined a work that God has had his hand on. Since the Supreme Court legitimized abortion on a 7-2 vote in January 22nd of 1973, over 58 million babies have been murdered in America. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Except the Lord build the nation. They labor in vain that build it. And all nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. 
I ask us tonight, are we part of the solution for America or are we part of the problem for America? Let me give you my last thing and I'll close. Let's look at America's future. The Bible tells us in the scriptures, in our text verse, and the people whom he had chosen for his own inheritance. And an inheritance refers to the next generation or the future. And so may I say to you that where America goes from here forward and where we are tomorrow and next year and the next decade and the next 50 years or 100 years if God does not call his people out in the rapture, where we go tomorrow will depend on where, what we are today. If you're not spiritual today, you're damning the future tomorrow. If we're not praying for America today, we're bringing the judgment of God on America for tomorrow. America was founded upon prayer and I'm persuaded to believe tonight that if we are to move forward as a godly nation, a God-fearing nation, a nation that sets the example to the rest of the world, then we've got to go back to the founding principles of our founding fathers in America. In 1788, James Madison, our fourth president of the United States, said this. We have staked the whole future of America and civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. That's a far cry from our government removing the Ten Commandments from our courthouses putting our hands on the Bible in the courtroom, teaching the Bible and having prayer in the classroom. Now they don't even want to give, uh, stand and show any reverence and respect toward the Pledge of Allegiance of the United States of America. What we allow or tolerate in our lives today and our apathy and our complacency determines the future and stirs the direction of the next generation in our nation. Do we understand that where we are today, that succeeding generations for the most part, they normally don't get stronger, they get weaker. Here's the reason why. God is here. The church is here. The world is here. And somehow we have it in our mindset that there must always be this divide, this space between the, the church and the world. So the world moves a little, we move a little. The world moves a little, we move a little. But where we are today is where the world used to be. And the problem is, the further we chase behind the world, someone said the other day and tried to reverse it and said, yeah, but Brother Ellis, actually, we're getting close to the world and the world runs from us and we're trying to catch the world. No, I don't think so. We've adopted the world into our lifestyles. And the problem is, uh, as the world goes and we chase after the world, it's not just we're keeping our distance from the world. The problem is, we're getting further and further away from God. 
and releasing the founding purpose in which God established America and the principles upon which our nation and republic was founded on. The Continental Congress made the first official act of a call to prayer on September the 6th of 1774 after receiving news that the British troops had attacked Boston. They had every reason to believe that their homes, their houses, their lands, and everything was been destroyed at that time. On the following day, September the 7th of 1774, in Carpenter's Hall, and I've been there in Philadelphia, the Continental Congress bowed in the day of fasting and prayer for this United States of America that was to come. The Library of Congress, and I'll not take time to go through all the details tonight, but it's recorded that there as they stood and prayed and bowed on their knees, Washington was there on his knees and tears flooded down his cheeks. And the Continental Congress, as they wept before God and fasted and prayed for the future of America. It's recorded by some of the old stern Quakers. The moving of God in the Continental Congress. And how they wept before the Lord on that day. He, he says it was enough to melt the heart of stone as he saw the tears gush down the face of a Continental Congress on that day. The founding fathers of the United States of America founded the success of this nation on those days of fasting and prayer. The Assembly of Virginia passed a resolution on June the 1st of 1774 as a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer. George Washington, our first president, set a pattern for leaders of the country to fast and pray. In Washington's diary, he recorded this on numerous occasions, went to church and fasted all day and prayed. John Adams, our second president, said this. He proclaimed on May the 9th of 1798 as a day of solemn humiliation, fasting, and prayer. The United States was on the verge of war with France. Now, I'm not prophesying this tonight, so don't take what I'm about to say out of context. But will God have to bring something between us and North Korea and Iraq and Syria and these other nations of the world? to bring us to our knees. I remember the church where my mother and dad went, and it's an old hard-shelled Baptist. I don't endorse their doctrine. But I remember some of the old-timers. In fact, Brother Ed Blue, the founder of the ministry, used to preach there all the time, and I was just a kid. And I, um, I remember the old-timers telling the stories of how during the war, the church doors was open and unlocked all night long. And people would be weeping and so much that the tears would literally merge in the aisles and run like a river down the middle of the church. I remember Brother Blue giving a testimony as, as I was a young preacher boy. I remember him talking about a church he was in and the, the power of God was on that service and people getting saved and right with God, revival had broke out. Brother Blue said, I was feeling pretty good about myself. 
He said, until I went into the middle of the night and I went in to pray because people were coming and praying all night long. And he said, I walked into the church and I heard a voice and somebody was praying. He said, as I approached the altar, I didn't see anyone in the pews around the front. And he said, I, I went looking for that voice that I could hear praying. He said, I, it sounded like this coming from the, uh, from the front of the church. And I went looking, couldn't find anyone. He went into the Sunday school section, couldn't find anyone. He came, stood, and began to listen. He said, I, I heard a, a voice, and it said, Oh, God, please bless our preacher. Oh, God, give us souls. God, give Brother Blue power to preach. God, touch him. God, anoint him. God, have your hand on him, Lord, please. Brother Blue said, God smote my heart. He said, boy, you not, it's not you. It's not your preaching. It's not your power. It's my power. And it's that man's prayer that's bringing revival. Brother Blue said, I got to listen. He said it was coming from the piano. It was one of them old stand-up pianos. He said, I got to look at nobody's there. He said, I went around the corner and looked in there. A man somehow had crawled over the top of that piano, got down in the corner behind it, and he was down behind his knees behind the piano and praying, oh God, we need revival. We need fasting and prayer. America was founded by prayer. America will only continue by prayer. And God's people. Would you come to the instruments tonight? Let me, if I may, prepare to close. As I thought about America and our future and what God has in store for us, these young men and young ladies that stood tonight and gave their testimonies, will they have a United States of America to worship God and to pray and to do what the Lord has allowed you and I the great privilege to be able to enjoy here in this church? Have we really genuinely prayed for America and for the faltering and for the sin of our nation? Have we really fell on our knees and asked God to allow this revival to break over into another church, into another church and another church and another church until God has turned our nation back to God? Have we really prayed for our pastor? Have we really prayed for our Sunday school teachers and our, our deacons and our, our school teachers and our church membership? If judgment comes on America in our time, may it not be because of one single Christian's failure to seek God among those that's under the sound of our voice tonight. Would you be willing to come pray for America? Pray for revival in this nation. Pray for our young people that will have an America to worship God, to serve Him. A place where our children's children's children can come if the Lord doesn't call us home and worship Him and pray and have the Spirit-filled choir and have the Spirit-filled specials and the Spirit-filled testimonies tonight.
America's future rested on us tonight. Would we even have a future? When Brian comes to sing tonight, I wonder if there wouldn't be those here. Maybe God's been dealing with you and you failed to respond. During this meeting, And the Holy Spirit of God has relentlessly trailed your heart. Day after day and night after night, let tonight be the night we come and surrender on this altar. Brother Brian, as you sing for us tonight, please.